Welcome to Taking the Helm with Lynn McLaughlin. In this ever-changing world, it's essential to prioritize our children's emotional well-being. Lynn can show you how to learn and model healthy emotional habits for your loved ones and become a rock-solid support system for your family. Now, here's your host. Welcome back to you from all over the world. We are talking about all things proactive when it comes to ours or our children's emotional well-being. Whether we're a parent, a grandparent, an educator, an aunt, or an uncle, whatever, there are always strategies or tools or a mindset that we can adopt. Before I introduce our game-changing guest this week, if you are someone who is going through a crisis in your life, whether it is a divorce, a life-threatening illness, a tragedy, and you missed last week's show with Sarah Olsher, I highly recommend that you listen. Because when we're going through the most challenging times of our lives, our children are coming along with us. Well, we have a lot to talk about again this week with Dr. Anna Asperham. She is a nationally recognized physician who healed herself from multiple chronic conditions. She's the founder of Health is Power, that's capital P-O-W, capital H-E-R. She's triple board certified in pediatrics, integrative medicine, and medical acupuncture. She is now a coach that's helping women learn how to heal themselves for good. And she has a podcast called Health is Power, which serves women who want to learn about how to overcome all of the issues that come with life. Anna has just taken a leave from Children's Mercy Hospital to pursue an additional certification. I'm going to try this in osteopathic neuromusculoskeletal medicine. How'd I do? Great. (laughs) And we're going to get into, she is trained in mind-body therapies to help the youth and adults with chronic health conditions from anxiety to sleep to pain and ADHD. I am beyond thrilled to have you, Anna. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you all. Oh my goodness. So let's start. I mean, I ask every guest the same thing at the beginning. You yourself have had powerful healing experiences doing mind-body therapies. How did this all start for you and take you to where you are today? So I got real sick in medical school and residency with both a autoimmune, a really chronic autoimmune disease, a pretty severe one, and then also chronic pain. And I had done, even though, you know, integrative therapies, um, acupuncture, all kinds of different treatments and procedures and medicines helped. The one thing that probably helped me more so, because I think I was about, you know, 30 to 40% better with all the supplements and the nutrition and the procedures and the medicines, I probably got a lot better, pretty much almost a hundred percent better with um, the mind-body therapies. And I always thought the mind-body therapies were like kind of soft um, compared Mm. to everything else as a, you know, physician. And I thought, yeah, I don't know if they'll really help that much, but I gave it a whirl. Um, and I tried meditation first and foremost, I got a coach to actually help me because I could not meditate. You know, everyone says, (laughs) Oh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I can't meditate. I'm my mind just won't shut off. Well, I, I was the same, I was in the same boat. I couldn't meditate. And I started practicing finally with a coach. And after about six months, I finally was able to do it by myself without having my mind wander all the time and getting distracted. And it started helping me, you know, just bit by bit. And then I got really into it and started learning about other forms of mind-body therapies like tapping, which is um, using kind of a somatic 
mm, an emotional regulation slash acupressure slash cognitive behavioral therapy with affirmations um, mm-hmm. that actually has over 120 studies on it for anxiety and mental health issues and stress. And so it's, I didn't even realize how much um, research was available on it and hips hypnosis. I actually got certified in hypnosis. Um, and I actually taught so many kids. I didn't realize they would actually do it. Um, but they love it, especially when you're doing it like zoom to zoom or on telehealth. Um, it's so much easier for them to do it in the comfort of their home. Um, and I used it for myself for my own chronic pain as well. Um, and then I did a lot with like HRV and yoga and, and um, doing some movement therapy and combining meditation with movement. Um, so yeah, I, I just am keep pursuing it, all of it <laughs> as much as I can. <laughs> okay. We have, and we're going to get into each one of these things in a lot more detail, everybody, but you said, what is HRV? Um, heart rate variability. Uh-huh. Um, it, yeah, it's a lot of people know it from the Institute of Heart Math. Um, it's one of the more popular um, places that have studied HRV, which is heart rate variability. And it just is a measure of our rest, relax, play nervous system versus our fight or flight um, kind of. Symp- so it's a sympathetic versus the parasympathetic. And when we are more in a rest and relaxed state, our variability of our heart rate is a lot higher. So it's actually a measure of how we can regulate our emotions, our anger, our frustration. So that way we are in more control of our situations and our body versus if we're in a fight or flight state, which is that sympathetic state or reptilian brain state where we're just responding impulsively to every situation and environment that comes at our way. Okay. Thanks for that clarification. I want to go back to what you said about meditation because I'm one of those people, right? Just like you were at the beginning. I find for me, guided meditation is what works. And that that's what I'm sticking to right now. If I can listen to someone else's voice, I mean, there's different types of meditations out walking in nature is one, right? For me, having someone else walk me through it has worked. And boy, have I been able to calm myself um, using that type of meditation. And there's, there's so many, aren't there? So many. I I learn many different kinds of meditations. I the one thing that they typically, if you're not doing a guided meditation, the one thing that most meditative teachers will teach you is the mantra meditation, and that is very common too. And that's like the first step, mantra meditation. So you speak a mantra and you just focus on that mantra, um, and it can be anything and everything. It can be a positive affirmation. It can be a, from scripture. It can be just a word that you love. It could be something that you want to achieve. It doesn't even matter, but it's just focusing on that word, speaking it and breathing it 15 times. So it's usually about 10 to 15 times. You want to say it as you do your deep breathing. And then all of a sudden people feel like they can get into meditation, into this quiet space a lot easier and with less distraction. And then they can move on to different types of meditation. And there's... all kinds of meditation. And I never stayed with just strict 
mantra meditation. I am doing a lot more with hypnosis myself and using my imagination just because I have a lot more visual imagery that appeals to me. And so that's just always how I've been. I've been more visual and, and it seems like a lot of kids like more imaginative meditation and more maybe of the kinesthetic meditation, like tapping, for example, than they do just strict breathing. It's a little Mm. bit boring for the kids. So my niece and I, who's the co-author of our children's book series, we've been going out into schools and doing parent evenings. So she has taught me and please speak to this. We have found a meditation that works best for the little people. You know, the early years is the um, counting the breaths first four breaths, you know, inhaling, then hold and then going to five and then going to six and then going to seven, because that keeps them on track with the counting and the numbers, right? So what do you find is the most effective when you mentioned a couple earlier, uh, you know, as parents and guardians are listening and educators too, the modeling that we can do when we find something for ourselves, our kids might need something totally different, but we're still showing them how to calm our bodies and minds. So the best one that I typically recommend is anything where the kid is really interested. So if they're interested in dragons, if they're interested in animals, then almost making it like some kind of animal breath, a dragon breath. And that's Mm -hmm. what we do in our yoga research project that we're doing for kids with oppositional defiant disorder. So we're taking a lot of yoga or breath work, a lot of yoga poses and breath work into something that the kids would actually really be interested in. Like we're going to do the dragon breath. And yes, we do count because then they know like what is the pace of the breath that they need to have instead of their regular breath. Where do they need to breathe? Where does the belly, you know, breathe their fire from their belly? And so it's almost like doing this analogy to different kinds of animals or fantasy animals that these kids resonate with. Um, and, and it seems like they have a lot more fun with it. Mm-hmm. Proactive is what the show is all about and what, what we're trying to do here. If I know, uh, and you know, six, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds can do this. If they know they're about to go into a situation where they're nervous, they can actually use the practice of whatever meditation, deep breathing, whatever it looks like to calm themselves before they enter that situation and have the self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skills they need for life, as opposed to being shut down by things they cannot cope with because they don't have the tools. Well, that's the key is really getting them to learn how to regulate on their own. And so they can go into situations without having these, you know, impulsive emotional meltdowns and so that they are more prepared. They know what to do. They know what their feeling will become. They sense that they're like, okay, if I am going to go to this classroom with this teacher and they know they get anxious beforehand, then they can learn some of these strategies before they go to that classroom or go to that teacher, for example, and then do it beforehand, get themselves in that calm, parasympathetic state or rest, relax, play state so that their emotions are more regulated so that they don't have any outbursts. And when children's emotions are regulated, they can actually listen and learn and have social as opposed to the um, fight or flight mode. 
Yeah. It, it, so actually that's been studied is that if they do have emotional regulation as a young child, they actually learn better. They have more cognitive skills. They have better social skills. They have better relationships with their peers and their parents and their teachers. So it kind of segues into all aspects of life is this emotional regulation, which is interesting because it's not taught at necessarily a preschool or, um, you know, school level, it's not part of the curriculum. However, I did hear from a teacher around here in this rural town that I'm in, because of COVID-19, there's a lot of these young kids that are having these worse temper tantrums, like the toddlers, especially difficulty with listening, difficulty with those relationships, difficulty with emotional regulation, because they weren't around a lot of their peers and they weren't around a lot of people. So they didn't know what was appropriate or what was not. And so now some of these schools are thinking about how do we get these social skills up and running again? And so I'm wondering if we're going to start seeing this in the system. Well, we're going to keep talking about it so that the people who are influencers in decision-making roles can do it. I can tell you there are countries that already have it in their curriculum, and I want to say it's India and China. Correct me, Mm -hmm. listeners, if I'm wrong. Um, In my current board, there is someone, a consultant, who's been hired on secondment for this year, and I certainly hope it, uh, it continues. Now, it's by request, by school request. And she is specifically going in and helping educators and children learn various, we call them mindfulness minutes, calming the minds techniques. I would love, you know, I'm going to put a challenge out there. There is no reason why I call it leading from the middle. There is no reason why a school couldn't say, well, I mean, you got, you got some logistics and things to whatever to think I'll get consent from the people that you have to get consent for. Give it, do it for a pilot for six months. Pick 10 schools in your board and pilot it for six months and see what the difference is in terms of the emotional outbursts, the the violent outbursts that occur when those kids are in that fight or flight mode. You will see a difference. You will absolutely see a difference. And you'll see healthier educators, healthier people all overall, because we get out of this reactive state into the proactive one. Yeah. And it's and it's interesting because the, there has been a lot of research on this already in in children, not only adults, um, mindfulness and meditation and yoga and getting them into a parasympathetic state, but there is quite a few in children and it's been around for a lot longer than we think. It's not been just within this decade, it's been decades. And so I I just wonder, it just takes a while for these things to get into a system that's really, you know, stuck in its ways. So you know, we were having trouble before COVID. Let's be real. COVID exacerbated things, but kids have been struggling. When one in four of us is going to be diagnosed with a mental illness in our lifetime, we're clearly doing something wrong. I mean, and I, you know, it's very, I'm, I don't mean to Dr. Esperham, I don't mean to minimize this because you've got genetics and neurology and all of those kinds of things associated with, um, but being proactive at the beginning, I, I could just sing this until the cows come home. <laughs> anyway, let's jump on. I, I'd like to get into some specific things before we go to break. You mentioned tapping earlier. Can you actually walk us through what that would sound like, what that would look like? And maybe our, our listeners can can imagine it themselves. Yeah, yeah. So the most basic one is the, it's almost like a, an emotional release. And it's about a few tapping points. And one is the karate chop point. And all you have to do is what do you want to focus on? And you just, the child says, you know, let's focus on my anger. And you just talk about releasing your anger while you're tapping on this point. Even though I have anger, I don't have to live with this anger forever. And I can release it. 
What are you tapping on? So the karate chop point is the first point in which you do an affirmation or whatever a goal that the child wants, for example, releasing anger. So the karate chop point is just that point where you actually are karate chopping a piece of board. And so it's just on the side of the pinky finger on the palm. And so you do that for three times and then you move to the eyebrows, just above the eyebrows in the middle of the eyebrow where it almost meets the bridge of the the nose. And so you just tap that and just say, I am ready to release this anger. And then you go to the sides of the eyes and the temple area, and you can continue asking like, why is this anger here? Um, and I, you can go underneath the eyes and that's the next tapping point just above the cheekbone. And you can see, yeah, I get angry with my class because they're so loud. And then you go underneath the nose and just keep tapping and just say, I just don't want this anger to bother me anymore. And then you go underneath the mouth, just in that middle of that chin area and that divot. And you can keep talking about how to release this anger. And then you go just below the collarbone and um, allowing yourself to release the anger. And then you go underneath the armpit, just at the kind of that line of the chest. And it's just underneath that armpit, just about a hand's width worth. And then the very last point is the top of the head and just Mm -hmm. keep affirming how much you really don't need this anger to be present anymore. And you do that about two to three times. And um, it actually helps so many. I, I had no idea it was so thoroughly researched. And just because I can see you and our listeners cannot see you, that tapping turns to using your your index, your pointing fingers, right? Yeah. Not yeah. the karate chop the whole time. So yeah, yeah, you can do your pointer fingers, you can do yeah. several fingers, and you can do your whole hand on the bigger areas if you want. Whatever works for you. I yeah. love it. Love it. All right. We got, we've got time to talk about one more and hypnosis is fascinating to me because everyone has a preconceived notion about what hypnosis actually is. What does it look like for using with kids? I just say, this is using your creative imagination with a goal in mind while you're visualizing this imagined place or imagined goal and doing it with just the power of your mind. And that's pretty much it. It, No one's doing it for you. You're in total control. So no one is actually hypnotizing you. This is just an imaginative, creative, visualized meditation that actually your body responds to it in real time. So if you're imagining this anxiety as a big black monster inside your body and you actually, you know, maybe even kill it with a sword, for example, it actually goes away in your body physiologically, even though they're just imagining it in their in their mind. I love the one you shared with me in the past, you know, where children choose their superhero or they use Disney. Would you just explain the, the I don't want to give anything away. I loved that one. There was one kid who had really significant anxiety and pain and, and we did a special place um, hypnosis and her special place was Disney world. And so she went to Disney world, just imagined it. And she imagined her anxiety and all her pain as the fireworks that occur every night at Disney world. And so the anxiety and the pain went into the fireworks and she lit them off, blew them up into the sky and released her pain and released her anxiety. It just vanished. How powerful is that? Oh, what a great way to segue to break. 
We are with Dr. Anna Esperham today. We talked about tapping, hypnosis. We're not done yet. We're going to talk more about using the imagination, yoga, osteopathic medicine. We'll see you back in a moment. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Our kids today face a world that's different from what we experienced. The pressures they encounter are unique and they need a fresh approach. But fear not, we're here to guide us all towards a brighter future. Join us and schedule Heart Matters Embracing Emotional Health for All and uncover answers and proven strategies that work for our children's sake. It's more than an event. It's a catalyst for change. We delve deep into what being emotionally well truly means. It's more than just being happy or stress-free. It's about developing resilience, empathy, self-awareness, and more. Discover how normalizing emotions and modeling for our children will empower us all to build healthy relationships. You'll have the opportunity to engage with renowned experts in mental health and education as they share their invaluable knowledge and practical insights. But that's not all. We'll provide you with a wealth of resources. Whether you're interested in scheduling an in-person or virtual event, Heart Matters is designed as an interactive session to accommodate the needs of your school or community. Let's shape a future where emotional well-being is prioritized and our children thrive in loving and supportive environments. Discover the answers and act now for our children's sake. Email Lynn at lynnmclaughlin.com to start the conversation. Receive your free proposal and book your date. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. You are listening to Taking the Helm with Lynn McLaughlin. Have a question for Lynn or her guests? Join us on the show at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Now, back to the show. And we are back from break with Dr. Anna Esperham. We've talked about several things so far, but we're going to jump now into the use of hypnosis. We were just talking about a little bit before break, but my question is, can kids learn to do self-hypnosis? Yes. So this is actually what we mostly teach as those certified in hypnosis as physicians or healthcare practitioners. We actually teach the kids to learn self-hypnosis. And a lot of the studies have actually been based off of self-hypnosis for the kids to do it themselves, especially for the anxiety with irritable bowel syndrome or abdominal pain. And they have shown that the kids actually are pretty compliant with this. They do do this at home. They love the hypnosis and there is excellent outcomes especially with the abdominal pain, irritable bowel syndrome, and anxiety. And the one place that is um, a nonprofit that does a really good job for you all listeners to learn about the self-hypnosis for kids is imagineaction.stanford.edu. 
And so that's is at Stanford Medical Center. And to spell imagine action is the imagine without the E. So I M A G I N action, A C T I O N dot stanford.edu. I'll so that's a really that good up. resource. Yeah, <laughs> oh, okay. it's, it's an amazing resource. I actually use this for adults, even though it's geared for kids. But I tell adults to do this website because it's really great because they're certified in hypnosis. They put all these videos and all these recordings together um, to teach you how to do self-hypnosis. Yeah. Baby steps. Try one. Baby steps. Right. Yep. It makes a difference. If that one doesn't work, try another one. <laughs> All right. You were talking about helping heart rate variability. Is there something concrete that, that, is there an example you could walk us through what that looks like for a child, for a youth? Yeah. The biggest one is actually what you mentioned earlier was the deep breathing. And so for the younger kids, usually doing some kind of analogy and teaching them like the steps in the breathing, the time to breathe, how long they need to inhale. So, you know, five seconds, six seconds, how long they need to hold it. So the holding part is really important after they inhale and then exhaling. So typically what we as the integrative medicine physicians teach is that box breathing. So, um, and just because they can imagine this, the shape of the box. So they inhale for four seconds, hold it for four seconds, exhale for four seconds, hold it for four seconds. So it's just that box. And this actually increases their heart rate variability too. So The other thing that the kids can do is actually anything that activates their vagus nerve. So um, like splashing cold water on their face, um, even like sometimes if they're in an emotional moment and they eat a cold popsicle or something ice cold, um, that can actually help just that quick flash of cold experience. Um, Elastic there, bands on wrists I've heard about yeah. wrapped around your finger. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You can fidget. Yeah. You can also do fidget stuff too as a distraction, but sometimes they can be a little bit hyper-focused on those. And so doing some more kind of mindful awareness, like even tapping um, yoga has shown some improvements in the heart rate variability. So any of those like mindful awareness, attentive meditation activities actually promote the heart rate variability. Deep breathing, inhale through the nose, exhale through the mouth. Yeah. The one thing I teach also about the deep breathing is the correct form of breathing, which uh, I didn't even know this until I was like 35 years old. And it's the diaphragmatic breathing. And this actually massages the vagus nerve because that vagus nerve is the longest nerve in the body from the brain to the abdomen. So the diaphragmatic breathing is a really good lymphatic massage and also helps improve that heart rate variability by almost massaging that vagus nerve, activating that parasympathetic system, which is that rest, relax, play type of nervous system. And so what I do is I have the kids hold their hands on their rib cage, right? Just below their chest. And I have them feel their breath instead of on their chest when they inhale, feel their ribs move outward and their belly move outward. And then when they exhale, their hands go inward as their ribs and their abdomen come inward. And their chest is not moving so much. Their chest is not going up and down, which is very common in the beginning 
when you breathe, they're using their chest more so than their rib cage. So it's trying to get them programmed and it takes a, a few weeks. So I tell them to listen to one song every night, put their, lay down, put their hands on their rib cage and make sure that they're breathing through their rib cage and their belly versus in their chest. And a song that they love. That's yeah. uh, wow. Get them inspired to do it. Okay. We started to talk a little bit about yoga and yoga also has all kinds of different <laughs> forms or ways of doing it. It are, is there one or two or ways for children that you find have been, been uh, most effective? Well, we're doing Hatha yoga for the young kids, um, the preschool kids with oppositional defiant disorder, because it focuses on the poses and because the kids, they really correspond well to the analogies of different animals or like a warrior pose or like a dragon's, you know, breath. I mean, they really respond well to acting like an animal or acting like some kind of, you know, fantasy image, whether it be a Star Wars Jedi or, you know, (laughs) something like a unicorn or something like that, that they love to do. And so then you can demonstrate the pose, but make it instead of the traditional yoga poses of, you know, a peaceful warrior, make it into, yeah, let's be a Jedi um, and show them the Jedi pose, for example. So you just get them more interested in it. So it's not as, you know, more, it's, less adultish. Yeah. I, a, a chair yoga works for me, <laughs> right? There's all different ways. It's terrific. Oh my gosh. All right. We're going to talk now. There's just so much. I love this Anna because we're getting into so many different things and you know, listeners, this does seem like a lot of information. If you take one thing and try it for yourself, right? Do some research, follow up, try it for yourself, and then maybe have your kids join in or try something, do something as a family. Uh, like I said earlier, baby steps, one little thing at a time and go back and play this episode again and try something else if it didn't work. That is a great recommendation because that's what I tell all the kids too. I'm just like, it, not one form of meditation may work for you. It's going to, you're going to have to trial a whole bunch and they're like, oh, I've tried, you know, meditation before it hasn't worked. And it's like, well, you haven't tried all of them. You haven't, yeah. you haven't stuck with it. You haven't, you haven't had somebody teach you. Maybe you didn't have the right resources. So there is so much out there. I mean, that you will love, like someone's going to love something. There's got to be one thing that you love Mm -hmm. out of all of it. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk about osteopathic medicine. Yeah. So this is a big smile on your face. Wow. (laughs) She's excited about this. I'm just, I'm so happy because I get to learn this as an MD, mostly DOs um, who graduate from DO school get to learn this, but I got this amazing opportunity and it is um, so incredible because osteopathic manipulative medicine, how everyone thinks about it is it's for pain, like shoulder pain or knee pain or back pain. Well, what I'm finding out is, is a lot of our techniques that we use actually activate the parasympathetic nervous system. And this has also been studied. So osteopathic manipulative medicine, I was just researching this helps anxiety. It helps ADHD. It can help um, kids with autism um, and so on and so forth. And so we use some of these techniques that activate the parasympathetic nervous system. And they're very easy techniques to do. And these are the ones that are typically studied. So some are just like 
a um, mild um, kind of soft tissue pull, I would say, on the tissues in the back of the head. It's called a suboccipital release. That activates the vagus nerve, so activates the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, getting the, the um, thoracic inlet, which is just where the head meets the shoulders, can get really tight. Everyone gets tension around our neck, our shoulders. Mm-hmm. And so helping release that releases that sympathetic response and activates the parasympathetic, which is that vagus nerve, that heart rate variability and getting that back up again. And then we also do diaphragm releases as well, which helps again with improving that parasympathetic nervous system. So I am finding out that osteopathic manipulative medicine is much more than just a simple shoulder injury or pain. It is for all types of chronic conditions that also lead to that mental, emotional dysregulated state. I should have asked you this at the beginning, but what's the difference between sympathetic and parasympathetic? So the sympathetic nervous system there and the parasympathetic nervous system are part of our autonomic balance, which is part of our emotional regulation. So that's in our nervous system. It's not all of it, but it is very prevalent in our emotional regulation. So we do have to think about the autonomic nervous system, both the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. So the sympathetic nervous system is like part of that reptilian brain response evolutionarily to protect us from that tiger chasing after us when we're in a fight or flight response. But it can also, even though that's acute stress, like a tiger chasing us, we have nowadays, we have chronic stress. And so tiger is constantly chasing us nonstop. And that's how our body is responding. We get elevated cortisol, elevated stress neurotransmitters. We wear out our healthy, feel good neurotransmitters because we're using them all the time. And that's what leads to anxiety and a lot of other mental health issues, even depression with this chronic elevated state, then it just plummets and you get depressed. The parasympathetic nervous system is more of our rest, relax, play, chill out part of our nervous system where no tiger is chasing us. We're sipping on, you know, Long Island iced tea on the (laughs) beach, chilling out and totally cool living life. We're good. We're focused. um, We're motivated. Nothing's bothering us. We're healthy. We're energetic. Um, And oftentimes that Nerve that part of the nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system, is not as active anymore in our society today because of all the chronic stressors that are out there. So we have to engage that through a lot of these mind-body therapies to beef it up compared to the sympathetic nervous system, because that fight or flight response is way up high, and our parasympathetic is kind of limp right now. It's just like very blood, it's low. And so we need to activate it to get it higher, to be in balance with the sympathetic nervous system so that we can have a really, really balanced autonomic system to help our emotional regulation. Thank you. That was an excellent explanation. Okay. The osteopathic medicine, there sounds like there's just so many possibilities there. Can you recommend a site where people could go to find out more information? Yeah. So um, one of the best websites is the Academy. So there's two academies. One is the um, American Academy of Osteopathy. And then the other one is the, um, oh, I'm going to butcher this. I think it's AOA, which is American Osteopathic Association. So there's two. So American Academy of Osteopathy and the American Osteopathic Association. And so they have lots of resources on there. 
All right. Thank you so much. Okay. We've got time to hit one more thing before we uh, head off for our second break. Uh, parent training programs. We are just, I mean, there's overwhelmed. You could do a search for, you're looking for something that I want to model emotional regulation for my children. And there are count, countless sites. How do we, how do we, oh my gosh, navigate through all of those things, parent training programs? What would you recommend? Well, so I would say if you can find one that's led by a certified therapist or a certified psychologist, that is probably one of the top-notch training programs because they actually have that certification and the experience to lead those parent training programs. But I have actually seen some good ones um, that they're not necessarily the certified parent training programs from a psychologist or a certified um, licensed mental health therapist, but they're from coaches. And because a lot of these coaches, what I would look for, if you are going to consider that route is looking for a coach that has been a parent, has gone through the training themselves, has learned from their own personal experience, has had several clients and has had success, then that is also something to consider if you want to go that route instead. But I would choose for me, I would go with a certified um, parent training programs. Okay. So let's delve into emotional regulation. So I think if we don't have one in our own homes in terms of our children, our grandchildren or whatever, we all know in educators, there's one in every single classroom. No question about it. Kids who are having trouble with that emotional regulation. They, they just, they just can't handle what's coming in. And I mean, I, and I, and I've done my own research and I'd really love to talk to you more about this, that overwhelming I love the way my niece, who's a social worker, describes this as a fuse box. There's there's information coming in so much, so often today. Our kids, our five-year-olds are hearing about a hurricane, a war, a climate change. And they they can't they can't make the differentiation that that's not going to affect them themselves directly. And this is all around them 24-7. And there's so much coming in. I think I heard last week there are 215 different emotional words now. Like not like when we were kids, right? So when we talk about emotional regulation, we're talking about giving them the skills and the strategies to be able to calm all that stuff coming in, right? And to be able to choose what's coming in as they get older. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where, so the number one way to get children to learn this emotional regulation, honestly, is the parent modeling this behavior and, and again, not only modeling the behavior, but allowing that space for the child to learn these emotional regulation strategies. So spending time with the child to name, to tame. So the child really needs to learn that emotional awareness and that can be done several ways. And uh, there's so many resources out there too, as you mentioned about so many different parent training programs, there's also different resources out there for the child to learn their own emotions and their feelings. Children's books, Mm -hmm. number one. So just like your (laughs) books that you're writing, that's a huge thing, right? So that actually the parent reading the book with the child is very important. Stopping and assessing during the book while they're reading that with them, when they're looking at the feelings of, you know, such and such, then going and talking to the kid about their emotions, about a situation that kind of is analogous or resonant to the book. So it really gets them to start talking and 
becoming aware and understanding of what emotions mean and what they are to them. Most importantly to me, and you tell me if I'm wrong, Anna, is them saying, now what am I going to do about it? And then finding that way through to a positive outcome. You know, our emotions are there for a reason. They're telling us things. We have to learn to listen, but we also have to learn to not let them shut us down. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's all about. And after the break, we'll be back with Dr. Anna Esperham. We're going to be talking about nutrition, her podcast, and more. We'll see you in a minute. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Our children are growing up in a world that is more complex than ever. It's time to start thinking proactively. Meet Zerko and the children who glow in the color they are feeling because they haven't learned to control their emotions yet. In the Power of Thought Children's series, we're not only teaching children about emotional vocabulary, but how to recognize how they are feeling and what they can do about it. We live on an imaginary planet called Tezra, where every character is named after a crystal. Each of the five books in the series takes children into a situation they can relate to, but teaches problem-solving skills and evidence-based strategies they can use for life. This series was developed in collaboration with clinicians, educators, parents, and guardians, and it's the winner of the Mom's Choice Award. Check it out at lynnmclaughlin.com under the Books tab. You are listening to Taking the Helm with Lynn McLaughlin. Have a question for Lynn or her guests? Join us on the show at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Now, back to the show. And we're back from break with Dr. Anna Esperham. And we've been talking about finding ways for young kids to express their feelings. Now, let's talk about something that you refer to as make it a game. Yeah, this is because kids, it's harder for kids to do that cognitive behavior, especially the younger kids, the cognitive behavioral therapy to change the way they're thinking in order to release their emotions and regulate their emotions. And the younger kids, you really want to make it a game. So if they're angry or they're frustrated or they're sad, make it a game in terms of how to release that emotion. And a lot of times more parents and actually a lot of therapists are recommending doing distraction techniques. And so you can kind of use a distraction technique by doing a, there's actually video games on emotional regulation out there. There's some that have been actually researched. Um, And so you guys can look through that. They're also like, you can do card games like memory and understand like different ways of releasing the emotion through play, through acting out, through role play, through um, doing some kind of running or movement to release it, but like getting points for being able to release each emotion that comes that they name. So you kind of want to make it like interesting and inventive and fun for them because it's going to be so different than how adults handle emotions and they, you want to motivate them to be able to release their emotions. So that's where that like game system comes in where they like, they get to be a little competitive and rack up some points by releasing their emotions in different strategies. Sounds like fun. I'd like to do it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Your podcast, Anna, Health is Power, P-O-W-H-E-R. Oh my gosh. There's so much information in there. What can people find? 
This is all about figuring out how to utilize different therapies, whether it be conventional, integrative, spiritual, mental health therapies, mind-body therapies, all of it for different chronic health conditions, whether it be anxiety, depression, um, even high cholesterol, even women with autoimmune disease, chronic pain, you name it. I created this podcast for women, specifically parents and women, so that they don't get this type of information in, in with their conventional medical professional. This is something that I had to learn outside of it, even when I was in the medical profession. And so I just wanted to give out that information that I learned that took me decades and tons of money later that really wasn't found anywhere. And that I took, you know, worked really, really hard to figure out myself. And so I just kind of packaged it up and put it on a podcast for everyone for free so that they could find that information because it really is needed, especially with all this chronic health stuff going on. Oh, yeah. And if you don't know listeners, uh, the way we do it at Voice America is the links to Anna's site will be on this show. Just check it out and uh, and you can find this information as well. But we, we're not done yet. We need to talk about nutrition. Nutrition in the, plays a huge factor in our overall health. How is it connected to our emotional well-being? Okay. This is something I learned when I was doing my pediatric integrative medicine fellowship. And I, we really focused on nutrition as the foundation because the gut is really so essential in health because it is kind of the gateway to actually health and healing and the gut and the brain are so connected. So the gut and the nervous system are very connected so much. I didn't even realize this when I had a kid who had such severe anxiety. This happened after he saw a kid throw up in the cafeteria. And so the kid developed a severe phobia. He couldn't go to school because he was afraid he was going to throw up. It was just, it just had just switched for him. Um, Not even any childhood trauma or anything. And so this was so traumatic for him that it developed severe anxiety. And in taking a little nutritional history, he also couldn't sleep as well. So sleep, he couldn't sleep because of the anxiety and the fear of going to school the next day. And then he just couldn't set foot. He had a panic attack every time he set foot in school. So I just, you know, did a really good nutritional intake. He was eating a lot of brown foods. There wasn't any like um, wide array of different vegetables, fruits, healthy fats and protein. And by the way, healthy fats are missing in most kids diets. And a lot of people don't know this. And so, um, so I got his nutrition cleaned up and also took him off gluten just as a trial, um, just to see if there was anything going on there. Um, because there was a study that related, um, gluten and mood disorders and sleep issues in, in children. And so I took him off gluten um, we promoted a healthier diet. They, the parents did really well with promoting this whole foods, increase healthy fats, decrease gluten and his anxiety and his phobia went away and he started sleeping. Remarkable. I don't even think I did much in terms of supplements. I think I probably started him on omega threes, which most kids, everyone is deficient in omega threes nowadays. That's your fishy, your uh, fi- uh, mm-hmm. fish oils, et cetera. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I was so surprised. And then I started researching it even more, how food is related to our nervous system and to our behavior and our gut microbiome is a big thing as well. So yeah, I, mm-hmm. it was just a simple, simple change. That's it. I, I've done a lot of research uh, for kids with autism too. Yeah, Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to ask you about sugars. We haven't mentioned sugar in terms of nutrition. 
yeah, well, it's really <laughs> crazy how less, how little and how much less sugar we actually need in our diet. And we're getting way, I, I don't even know. It's like a huge percentage, way more than what we need. It should only be, I think, six teaspoons a day, which is so, I can't, I can even, I can't, and I eat really healthy. I can even barely get down to six teaspoons a day of sugar. And what I did find though, is that when you decrease the sugar, because everyone thinks they need to eat carbs, because when the um, government actually promoted more carbohydrates than fats based on a flawed study, they really actually increased that obesity epidemic because of that flawed nutrition study. And so now everyone thinks that fat causes weight gain and fat causes, you know, diabetes and fat causes hypercholesterolemia and all of that. Well, it actually doesn't. It's the sugars that cause high triglycerides and cause metabolic syndrome. And so we really need to switch that thinking is really to increase the healthy fats, avocados, nuts, seeds, olive oil, even coconut oil for those who don't have a genetic issue with that. Um, and then lots of grass-fed butter even. And if and we introduce that to our kids when they're young, then that becomes part of their lifestyle. Fat. 90% of our brain is fat. It, that's how it functions. In order for the cells to signal to each other, it requires fat. So we have to promote more healthy fat in our kids. They're not getting enough. Oh my goodness. There's just so much to follow up on. All right. Uh, we can't finish without talking about acupressure and acupuncture and some of the stuff that's coming out that is like, aha, we really need to look into this further. Yeah, I so when I did get my medical acupuncture training and my certification, I did not think kids would ever do this, but I was so so wrong. Um in fact, in my previous clinic at this uh, headache and pain treatment center that I ran at a large pediatric academic medical center, it was the primary treatment that most of our older kids wanted. It was so popular and they kept coming back for more and a lot of our kids did have anxiety, depression, and pain. And so it works great for those three because um, acupressure and acupuncture, acupuncture works a little bit better than acupressure, but at least acupressure is more accessible. And so what it does is, is it increases the neurotransmitters, those feel-good neurotransmitters, both in your spinal cord and in your brain. So it's, it's activating the serotonin, which is a feel-good chemical, and it also activates other neurotransmitters that helps that relax and um, play that parasympathetic nervous system response. So we're really calming down. And most of the time, a lot of these kids and teens will say, gosh, yeah, I just feel like my mood is better. I can sleep better. I just have more energy. Um, and so those are some of the benefits that we usually recommend acupuncture or acupressure for. But acupressure, that's part of tapping too. So there's like a little bit of acupressure in the tapping. And a lot of times I can teach kids a, a little acupressure, just a couple points, like that point in between the thumb and the first index finger in that little meaty area on the back of the palm. That's my next question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's large intestine four. And that is typically sore. If they press hard enough, um, it is going to be sore. So whenever there is a point in the body that's sore, I just tell the child to rub it, rub it. And they could like do it in circles. They could push on it. They could just hold attention there for at least 
they, the acupressure is usually three minutes, but I tell the kids at least one minute and, and that'll be, and they can do it several times a day. And, and so that's a big one. The other one that some kids, it's a little bit harder to do is on the foot. And that's in between the first big toe and the second toe. It's the same. Lynn is laughing because I'm holding up my foot right She's now. She's holding up her foot, everyone. I wish you could see the video. <laughs> and again, it's in that area on the meaty part on the top of the foot where there is a sore spot. You do have to push pretty hard, though, in between those two bones of the first and second toe bones. So those are the two big points that are very calming to help with the emotional dysregulation. Incredible. So I, my, my question before you actually to started to describe it was the pressure points would vary according to what children are experiencing, right? Yep. So, and it's a matter of seeing someone who understands that, but I love these two points that you've just shared with us. It certainly can't hurt to try. Yeah. That's called the four gates technique. And last but not least in the last few minutes of our show today, we're going to, let's talk about aromatherapy now. Yeah. So I got certified in aromatherapy as a comfort measure and also as sort of a help with anxiety and distress in kids, especially at the hospital. And we actually have found aromatherapy to really, really ease anxious symptoms and stressful symptoms. So that's what aromatherapy is really great at. Now, the younger kids, younger than five, you do have to be very, very cautious with the essential oils you use because they're very powerful. And so I usually say work with a certified aromatherapist or work with someone at the hospital or your clinic that is certified in aromatherapy, which there usually is at an academic pediatric medical center. The biggest ones that I recommend for the younger kids are chamomile and mandarin. And those are very calming and they promote feel good feelings. Um, The chamomile actually can help with pain as well. The older kids above five years of age can do lavender essential oil, which has some of the most studies on it, especially for kids with anxiety or pain, and also helps significantly with sleep issues and insomnia, like difficulty falling asleep because your mind is racing. And lavender is very good at calming some of those um, issues as well. We, We have talked about so much in this hour. What closing words do you have for our listeners? The biggest thing is 80% of a lot of these emotional issues, anxiety, depression, or mental health issues, 80% of it in order to truly get better comes from doing the work on your own. So it's not necessarily going to be cured from a doctor or a healthcare professional. Now, I think it's absolutely great to get the care that you need from each and every one and get the management plan, but they're going to tell you what you need to be doing at home, including the not only just medication, not only just therapy, but also doing those mind-body therapies and a lot of those other types of make it a game and emotional regulation strategies that need to be done day in and day out that do take time and effort. And so, but you're going to see massive improvements when you're incorporating a lot of these self-care and emotional regulation strategies versus just following what the doctor ordered or what the psychologist and therapist does in the therapy session. You know, I like to take this and apply it to the educational system too. We're all, we're at one whole beings. We are not just, you know, cognitive people. We have our mind, we have our bodies, we have our soul, we have our spirits. 
and uh, and finding solutions that encompasses all of those things is what we've been talking about today. Yeah, it takes a village. So head on over to the show page. You want to tab and follow our show weekly. All of the information that Dr. Um, Esperham has spoken about is there today, including her website and how to find her podcast. And I think this last hour has been, uh, oh my gosh, I just have to use it. Health is power is, is what we've done over the last hour, Anna. That's great. Thanks so much, Lynn. I'm so happy to be here with you. Thank you. It's time to introduce next week's guest, Faust Ruggiero. He has consistently established new and exciting cutting-edge counseling programs. He's a published research author, clinical trainer, and a therapist who has worked in settings that have included clinics for deaf children, prisons, nursing homes, substance abuse centers, inpatient facilities, major corporations, both national and international And let's end the show by checking our compass and learning what we need to as we empower our children to face the ups and downs of life, which will surely come. Enjoy your week. Thanks for tuning into today's episode of Taking the Helm. We hope that Lynn and her guests have provided valuable insights on how to create a safe emotional space for your children that empowers them to be their best selves. Until we talk again, have a wonderful week.